Good Palm Sunday to all of you. Glad to see you here today, worshiping with us. If you are visiting with us today, uh, we're so happy to have you here. And we're going to try to work real hard to earn your business, uh, your return visit to us. We want to be uh, helpful any way we can. If you have any questions about the church, see someone afterwards. And uh, most of these people know more than they look like they know. So uh, <clears throat> can answer your questions. Uh, so anyway, we're glad to have you here and hope you'll come back to worship with us often. Um, kids will please notice that the uh, egg hunt, Easter egg, it's an egg extravaganza this year, will be this coming Saturday the 23rd at 2 p.m. Fun and games will be inside the Family Life Center and eggs will be hidden outside, weather permitting. Uh, bring your Easter baskets, two o'clock next Saturday. The uh, regular program for children tonight continues as usual, as will um, adult activities and youth activities. Uh, everyone in the, who was in the hospital listed in your bulletin there um, is home or Last I saw of Margaret Williams, she was over at uh, Roger C. Peace, but I believe she's by now gone to her uh, daughters. So everybody is on the mend. I'm thankful to be able to report to you, but do remember these folks in your prayers. This morning, I invite all of the children to help me with the Palm Parade. Uh, Miss Katie is in the back with extra palm branches and children if you did not get a palm branch if you will join me in the back in a minute we're going to parade during the first hymn and we're going to end our palm parade right up here at the front because that's where the children's sermon will be held so we'll just lead you all right up here at the end and we invite all the children um, under age 60 who would like to to join me. Uh, for the palm parade. <laughs> Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Please be seated, and we invite Ralph Johnson to come and share with you some uh, children's moment thoughts. Are there any other children out there that'd like to come up here that were too embarrassed to <laughs> go around with Arthur? I bet you hope they pull a get a shorter song the next time y'all do. <laughs> I'm happy today. How about y'all? Are y'all happy? Are you? Um, what was that? It's spring break. Spring break? Okay. <laughs> well, that wasn't the reason I was happy, but that's a good reason to be happy. Um, I'm happy because it's Palm Sunday. Do y'all know what a palm reader is? A palm reader is somebody that can take the palm of your hand and look at the lines in it and tell you things about yourself that you didn't think they knew. Or they can even predict the future sometimes. Well, you probably didn't know it, but I know how to do that. And I'm going to demonstrate it right now. But first, I have to have my palm reader's hat on. Now, I couldn't find my turban this morning. So, this is what I have. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but you have to have, the, I have to have this on to be able to do this. I'm going to read somebody's palm here, and I apologize to any Shriners out there. Um, I need Mary, Sarah Catherine, come up here and let me read your palm. Everybody look at your palm. See those lines in the in Mary Catherine in Sarah Catherine's hands. Hmm, let's see. I bet I see that you are nine years old. Is that right? And um, I bet I can tell you when your birthday is. Looking at that line right there. June the twenty second. Is that right? It is. Okay. Um, you're in the fourth grade at Duncan Elementary. Do you catch on the softball team? You do? Hmm. And let's see. Bet I can tell who your teachers are. Let's see. First I see like a, I see a snowman in there. Oh, I know. Do you have a Miss Frost? You know what else I see? And this is kind of weird, I see a soup can. Could it be that you have a teacher named Miss Campbell? Oh, really? Okay, all right. You have a dog named 
It's either Jake or Jack. I think Jack. Is that right? Hmm. And I see something else there with a real, like a hard back on it. A turtle? A tortoise? Do you have a turtle? You let it go last night? Okay. All right. Okay. Was all of that, was I correct about all of that? I was. Well, great. How about that? Well, that was just for fun. So, but y'all really all know why we have um, Palm Sunday, don't you? It's really not about the palm of a hand. What is it about? Does anybody know? It's, a, it's about the um, bird that flew across the ocean holding one of these palm branches from one of the palm trees on land and it get and it, um, showed Naya, uh, Noah the way um, to land. Okay. Well, that's, one, that's certainly one example that we know about. Um, but this one has to do with what y'all just did. On the week before Easter Sunday, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And as he came into town, he had sent his a couple of his disciples to go get a, a donkey for him to ride on. And as he came into town, um, it was Passover, which is a Jewish festival. And all of these people had come in from all over the countryside to be there for the festival. And they lined the streets because they had heard about Jesus. And they knew about the miracles that he had um, performed. So they all came to see Jesus. And one of the things they did was they cut palm branches and waved those palm branches in the air um, as a salute to Jesus. In the 12th chapter of John's Gospel, he tells us that a great crowd came for the feast, the feast of the Passover, and heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Because they used palm branches to salute him, that's why we call this Palm Sunday. But you know there is a connection between the Palm Sunday and the palms of your hand. When Jesus was crucified later that week, he was nailed to a cross. And those nails were driven into his hands. Did you know that? You can imagine how painful that must have been. We know that the nails were driven into Jesus' hands because Thomas, who was one of his disciples, uh, did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And on, uh, after Easter morning, after Jesus had risen, uh, some of the disciples saw Jesus, but Thomas did not. And Thomas said that unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I will not believe it. Well, you know, we believe, don't we? Um, we believe because of all the wonderful things that God does for us. So after I get through here, after, we're, after we pray, I'm going to give each one of you a little cross. And every time you look at that cross or you look at the palm of your hand, I want you to remember that Jesus suffered on the cross so that you are forgiven of your sins. Okay, let's bow our heads and repeat after me. Father God, 
Thank you for Jesus. That he died on the cross to save us from our sins. Amen. I understand that Ralph's interest in palms began when he was in elementary school and he would come home and his mother would say, show me your hand and he'd see where the ruler had hit him several times that day for misbehaving. So that's, where, that's what his palm said. Um, our Old Testament lesson is a, a wonderful passage from Zechariah 9. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verse 8. I'm going to add one more verse to 11. I think there's a a reference there that we need to have in verse 11. So, But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nation. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Here ends the reading. Our responsive reading is Psalm 118 on page 839 of your hymnal. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage responsively. <clears throat> The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but has not given me over. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God who has given us light. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Epistle reading for today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Here ends the lesson.
Our prayer of confession is printed in your bulletin. I invite you to join me as we pray. O merciful Father, in compassion for your sinful children, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. Grant us grace to feel and to lament our share of the evil that made it necessary for him to suffer and to die for our salvation. Help us by self-denial, prayer, and meditation to prepare our hearts for deeper penitence and a better life. And give us a true longing to be free from sin through the deliverance won by Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Yes, Lord, we recognize that we were parties leading to the death of Christ. It was our rebellion and our failure to recognize you as God that put Jesus in harm's way. And we recognize that. And we marvel at the love which he has for us and for all of your children. For he went that Palm Sunday to Jerusalem knowing full well what was waiting for him there. He went to make it clear that he was your Savior, the Messiah. And he went knowing that he would be rejected by those in authority and that he would be punished and whipped and then crucified. We marvel at the one who loved us so greatly that he went to Jerusalem that Sunday in spite of the fact that he knew what was waiting for him there. Thank you, Lord, for your loving plan for us. Thank you, God, for your willingness to forgive us and to put upon your Savior the sins of all of us that we might have placed upon us the righteousness that rightfully belonged to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your unique son into this world that we might become the children of God. We break out palm branches and we lift our voices in song this day because in spite of the sorrow that we feel knowing that our rebellion was a part of the cause of Jesus' death, nevertheless, we are so grateful that your love for us was so deep and so powerful that you chose to come to us in Christ to redeem us all. We pray, O oh Lord, that, that, that in our own way and in this time in which we live, we might find a way so to live that others will feel your loving embrace and will feel your invitation to receive Christ into their lives, that they might join us in following Jesus we pray in the name of the one who gave himself for us.
even Jesus our Lord, as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
the more serious side of the season will be remembered on Thursday as we come for our Monday Thursday communion and we invite you to be present for that at seven o'clock this coming Thursday um, people always ask what's Monday mean well it comes from the word commandment and it's the night that we remember that Jesus said I give you a new commandment love one another but even more than that he gave us a commandment to remember his uh, sacrifice by receiving communion uh, frequently and so we will be gathering for uh, that purpose uh, on Thursday. Our gospel reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, 21, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Here ends the lesson. Some years ago, I uh, started a bad habit of sending a note to all of my preacher friends who become district superintendents, um, especially colleagues about my age. So I don't know that I sent one to George when he was so anointed. But I always send them a note that just has a verse of scripture in it. Luke 23:42. Well, of course, they have to look it up. And if you look that verse up, it says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> well, several years ago, one of my friends was appointed to the Walterboro District. The Walterboro District, and I sent him that note. I don't know anything good that ever came out of Walterboro District except Catherine Dobson back there. That was a good thing brought us. But um, <clears throat> that's not a part of the country I particularly want to go to and, and serve as pastor. So I sent that friend of mine a second note that said, considering where your kingdom is, don't remember me. <laughs> Forget about me. I want you to consider the Roman diplomat who successfully rose in the ranks of the army and in foreign service until he finally reached the place where he was ready to be appointed as a governor of a region of the Roman Empire. How proud his family must have been of him. And then they learned that he had not received a very good appointment from Caesar. He had been appointed to a place that no one really ever wanted to go to to Palestine, 
to govern those hard-headed, independent-minded Hebrews. After almost a century under Roman rule, they were no happier then than they had been in 63 B.C. when General Pompey had conquered the region for Rome. The worst thing about the appointment of Pontius Pilate to Jerusalem was that he had to live there, of all places. In fact, most of the Roman governors chose not to live in Jerusalem. Instead, they built another place to live, right on the Mediterranean, at the beach, at the coast, and let other people take care of the problems in the, home, in the region they were responsible for. So Pontius Pilate accepted Caesar's appointment at about the same time that Jesus was beginning his ministry. But even though Pilate lived some distance away from Jerusalem most of the time, there were certain times that his presence was demanded. One such time was at the annual feast of the Passover. Not only would it be good politics to be there, but his presence was essential for law and order to be maintained. You see, all Israelites were expected to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem for the Passover, the holiest of their holidays. With Hebrews coming there from all over the Roman Empire, the population of Jerusalem would swell to many times the usual number. And there had been a growing restlessness, growing anti-Roman sentiment in recent years, making it a real powder keg. Pilate always showed up on the first day of that week as a reminder that he was in charge. People had better not forget it. Local residents were expected to line the streets to welcome Governor Pilate. If they didn't, the local Jewish authorities would have, have to go meet the governor and be threatened with having their few freedoms challenged by a very angry governor. The writers of the Synoptic Gospels who told us about Jesus' Palm Parade took it for granted that everybody would already know about Pilate's annual Passover parade. But this fact has been lost to us in history, only recently rediscovered by modern biblical scholars. According to scholars like Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan in their book, The Last Week, a day-by-day -day account of Jesus' final week in Jerusalem, at the very moment that Jesus was entering Jerusalem on a donkey through the back gate, Pilate was parading into town on a war horse, accompanied by several large companies of sol uh, Roman soldiers from the main gate. Now when you know this, you begin to see why Jesus did what he did the way he did it on that particular day. His actions did fulfill the Old Testament prophecy regarding the king coming to the people on a donkey. But there was something distinctly political in Jesus' actions, something clearly anti-Roman, and it is no wonder that the religious leaders were very upset and told Jesus to silence his followers. There just can't be any disturbance like this going on when Pilate comes to town. You remember what Jesus' Jesus's response was, don't you? If the crowd gets quiet, 
the rocks will yell out, Jesus said. This was clearly seen as an act of treason against Caesar. And I guess you know how treason was punishable by the Roman soldiers, by torture followed by crucifixion. Several questions come to mind as I think about all this. First of all, why were the Jewish religious leaders so opposed to Jesus' parade? Well, it had to do with those very few limited freedoms that Israel continued to enjoy even under Roman occupation. They were allowed to practice their religion without interference from the Romans. Sacrifices in the temple went on every day. Those many festivals which identified the people of Israel as God's chosen people were allowed to be observed. They even had a Jewish leader, King Herod, who was answerable only to Pilate. Selections of the high priest went on without too much interference, except for heavy taxation and the loss of statehood independence. Israel enjoyed many liberties as long as the peace was maintained. But Jesus of Nazareth was shaking things up. First of all, he was tampering with those defining religious customs. Jesus said eating kosher food was not nearly as important as watching what you say to your neighbor. Jesus said it much more eloquently than that. He said it isn't what goes into the mouth that matters, it's what comes out of it that makes a person unclean. Sabbath rules were meant to be bent, Jesus said, if you needed to help your neighbor. And even the vilest sinner would be welcome to return to the faith community if Jesus had his way, a fact that some people interpreted to mean that it really didn't matter anymore if you just sinned however you wanted to. It didn't matter how you lived. So now, after tampering with the customs of the people, now here this preacher is imitating and mocking Pilate, staging a mock parade at the very hour that Pilate was arriving in the same city, siphoning off some of the crowd that was supposed to be over there at that other parade, allowing his followers to proclaim that he, and not Pilate, was the ruler. There goes the neighborhood, they thought. The few freedoms that Israel enjoyed were going to be taken away. Perhaps the Romans would decide to destroy Jerusalem and scatter the people, just like the Assyrians and the Babylonians had done centuries earlier. Judah would be destroyed and lost, just like the tribes from the northern region of, of Israel had vanished from the face of the earth in terms of having lost their identity when they were carried off. That could happen to us too, the people of the southern kingdom thought. The identity of God's chosen people would be lost forever. It was such a scary prospect that the religious leaders had said, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. When the high priest heard that, he said, don't you realize that it would be better for one man to die for the nation than for the whole nation to perish. And with that statement, the plot to have Jesus arrested and crucified was well underway. 
Now, before we judge these people too harshly, let us realize that if survival is your goal, then their tactic was a reasonable op option. And it has often worked in history. The Babylonian Empire collapsed, and the exiled who, exiles who remained peaceful uh, were able to come home after just 70 years. They outlived their captors. The Soviet Union collapsed after 70 years, and the former Soviet republics gained their independence without firing a shot. Many Germans who opposed Hitler did so in silence, waiting to outlive him. There was just no way for the citizens of Judah to defeat the Romans, a sad fact they discovered for real 40 years later when they were torn up and destroyed. And so their only hope was to outlast their conquerors, and that meant keeping the zealots and troublemakers like Jesus quiet. You know, sometimes you and I make our own pacts with the devil in order to survive or outlast our enemies. If the zealots had not started their insurrection in 70 AD, the plan would have worked. But their decision also showed a great deal of spiritual blindness. They did not recognize the time of the coming of the long-promised Messiah. Two rulers rode into Jerusalem that day, and they sided with the wrong one. A second question is why Jesus undertook such a provocative parade. There is no avoiding the fact that Jesus intended his parade to be a direct claim to be king of Israel and a direct challenge to those who claimed Herod as their leader and Pilate as their ruler. After months of keeping a very low identity, asking people not to tell others that he was the Messiah, now we see Jesus making a very public claim to that office. He hoped everyone would notice his parade, especially the Romans. Jesus, you see, knew that his days were numbered, that there was an active plot against his life. He already had predicted his death. So why not put on a pr provocative parade so that there would be no doubt in the minds of his followers or of the people of Judah that Jesus was the one who claimed to be the descendant of King David who would rule their throne. He had nothing to lose. And from that day on, no one will be able to say, I wonder if Jesus really intended to be accepted as our king. Jesus was removing that question from their minds. There is also no avoiding the fact that Jesus was mocking Pilate and all people that Pilate represents. People uh, like Pilate ride into town in the company of armed soldiers, whereas Jesus rode into town on a donkey. Pilate came in with swords drawn. Jesus rode in with palm branches waving. People had to attend Pilate's parade because of fear. People joined Jesus' Jesus's parade out of love, faith, and courage. You know, the Roman Empire spent 300 years trying to erase all memories of Jesus. But in the end, the Roman Empire succumbed and was defeated by the church. The emperor himself, Constantine, was converted to Christianity, and he made Christianity the official religion of the land. 
Who would have guessed that 20 centuries after the first Palm Sunday, no one would remember Pilate's parade, but the world would still gather in Jerusalem and all around the world to celebrate and remember Jesus' parade. That's what you do for someone whose life was so much greater. And Pilate, for all his power that he thought he had, is a forgotten person of history. Love is stronger. This year on Palm Sunday, Jesus and Pilate again ride onto the center stages of our lives, asking us who we will follow and which path we will take, the path of power and fear or the path of self-denial, service, and love. They demand that we choose between the two of them. Whom will you follow? Amen. Thank you.